VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And I thank you for joining us. And guess what, Natalie? I'm excited. Guess who's back with us in the studio? That's right. The only living gear brand in captivity. Better yet, down the line. And who better today, frankly? Oh, you're right. Well, except for Henry Winter, of course. Um, To talk about Pogba and Mourinho and the story that's kind of dominated the last 48 hours, it's Paul Hurst. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, so let's get to it. Let's start then with the big story in Manchester and the relationship and the saga between uh, Paul Pogba and Jose Mourinho at United. This really is the biggest story going, uh, involving the country's most decorated club, one of its most decorated managers and its most expensive player ever. Paul, you reported the big news on Tuesday that Pogba will never captain the club again under Mourinho. Just explain how and why this came about and, and where we find ourselves today. Well, on Tuesday afternoon before the game uh, against Derby County in the Cup, um, Mourinho got the players together um, as is normal, as is customary for you know pre-match meeting. And in that meeting, he told them that, uh, amongst other things, that Pogba would never be captain again as long as he's manager because he was he was not acting in Mourinho's eyes in a way that was befitting of a Manchester United player. And he was also saying that Pogba is not bigger than the club. No player is bigger than the club. And in Mourinho's eyes, he'd been not acting, you know, in the interest of the club. And that's why he took the uh, captaincy off him. The thing that struck me that I thought was was quite extraordinary, compared to sort of early Mourinho, sort of distinctly un-Mourinho-like, was the fact that he did this in front of the players. And when you do something like this in front of... 20 people plus assistants plus whatever you know it's going to get out and and obviously obviously it did is there any suggestion about why he did it this way is there any suggestion that maybe he took Pogba aside privately first and told him that it was coming I don't think it harmed Mourinho's interest the fact that it came out you know he's gained from this he's well in in his in his eyes he will have gained from this because he will have He's underlining his authority, you know, he's showing everyone who's boss. And he wants, you know, not not only everyone in the squad to know that, but everyone outside the football club as well. He knows how much kind of media attention that United get. You know, he probably knew that that story would get out. You know, he he would have been asked about it anyway after the match against Derby. So he he would have come out with it himself. So, you know, he definitely would have wanted that to become public knowledge. And he feels that that, you know, strengthens his authority, it shows him as a kind of a, a tough guy, you know, the guy who is in charge, who won't take anything that he doesn't think is, you know, above board. 
I'm sorry, one other quick thing on this, and I think I know the answer to this. Is the vice captaincy actually a thing at United? Like, I mean, I, I know they have a club captain yeah. who I believe is, is Antonio Valencia, but is this actually like an official job at the club that therefore you can be stripped of? No, well, this is this is the the strange thing about it. Whenever Mourinho's spoken about the the captaincy before, um, he's really paid very little attention to it. He he basically sees it as a, a ceremonial role, and that's why Antonio Valencia is the captain. He's the you know he's the longest serving player there. You know he doesn't even speak English, Valencia. So you know Valencia has not been given the uh, responsibility of making any kind of Churchillian speeches because he can't. He's just been there the longest. And, you know, the vice-captaincy, it doesn't really, you know, exist officially. There was an announcement on the United website in the summer saying Antonio Valencia is the captain and Paul Pogba is the vice-captain for the upcoming season. In fact, when we were on tour in America, Mourinho was asked this, you know, is Pogba going to be our vice-captain? And he said, you know, it's words to the effect of, well, we don't really have a second captain. It just depends on who's on the pitch at the time. It could be Smalling, Mata, uh, Ashley Young, uh, or Matic, he said at the time in America. He'd even mentioned Pogba at that stage, which I thought was quite bizarre. And I don't know whether that was because Pogba wasn't in America at the time or whether he genuinely didn't think of Pogba as, as, a, as a contender for that role. Um, so you know, to answer your question, it isn't actually an official role, but whenever Valencia doesn't play, or hasn't played this season on three occasions. Pogba's had the captaincy, so we've kind of taken that as Pogba is the second in line or was the second in line until Tuesday. Paul, to go along with what happened on Tuesday, we've all now seen the footage of, of an extremely frosty interaction between Pogba and Mourinho at Carrington yesterday before training. How do you think United feel about all this being out in the open? Well, it's embarrassing, isn't it? That, that's... You know, what I was talking to people who work at the club yesterday and one of them said it was embarrassing for the club. You know, to have this played out in front of the cameras and then for it to be beamed across the world is, is really it's quite embarrassing. It's quite petty, I think, you know, to have this kind of squabble. It should be an internal squabble. As much as we love it, obviously, in the media, that, you know, give us, give us this kind of story every day of the week, please. But, you know, for people internally at the club, they are, you know, they're, they're quite embarrassed about this. You know, this should be, like I say, like an internal kind of um, problem that should Sorry, be dealt with indoors. Clarify this for people who might not know, and actually, maybe Natalie, maybe you would know too, given uh, your, uh, your your past life. Mm-hmm. So, for people who don't know, when football clubs have, and correct me here if I'm wrong, when they have training sessions, it's not like any sort of Tom, Dick, and Harry can show up with his camera and start filming them. There are certain times. Uh, and sometimes it's contractual with rights holders, which I'm assuming would have been the case with Sky, where they can come and they can get footage of training, which is called B-roll. Is that right? Yes, B-roll. you can yes. call it that, yes. Um, Rushes, yeah. that sort of thing. So it's not as if the Sky cameras presumably were there and are there all day and all night filming this. So they would come at a certain preset time. There'd be some servant from Manchester United whose job it is to say, okay, guys, come here, film this. You've got five minutes, blah, blah, blah. I think it's pretty plausible that the club know when the guys are there and that the manager knows when the cameras are there. So you know where I'm going with this. Was this kind of a performance for the cameras? 
it's completely inconceivable that Mourinho didn't know that the cameras weren't there. The cameras for the, for the rights holders, you know, for example, such as Sky Sports, are allowed in once a month to film training. I think it's 15 minutes uh, at the start of a training session, and they're allowed to film. The cameras aren't there every day. You know, it's not like the Man City documentary where the players and the manager have got, you know, cameras shoved in their face. You know, they, they are not there every day. So, you know, it's once a month that they're allowed in. Mourinho must have known that, that that they were there, and I thought he was playing up to them. He did. It did look quite premeditated to me. Mm, yeah, I, I think you're right there. I mean, like you say, it's only ever 15 minutes that they get on camera as well. So there's not a lot of training that you're going to get in 15 minutes. It tends to be just the warm ups and and things like that. You're not allowed to see what they actually do in training, really, because obviously they don't want to give any secrets away. So yeah, I completely agree. I think there's a little bit of mischief making going on there. But um, James, what about Paul Pogba and the way he's used at United have they ever found the right formation for him? My feeling is that there have been glimpses there have been individual matches where Pogba's played really well and you've thought yes actually that really works but I don't feel there's been a run of sort of five or six or you know eight or ten games where you've really felt that Mourinho has settled on it where he's really cracked the Pogba issue and he's really set on a consistent system of course it's all relative I mean you know Paul Pogba I think last season he finished with 10 assists which was you know I don't think anyone else barred four players from Man City who are a bit of a goal scoring juggernaut had more so you know it's not like he's been a disaster he's been I think overall pretty good but what he probably hasn't done is reach the kind of levels of consistency or influence that you might want from a player who has been top five in the Ballon d'Or voting who cost as much money as he did and for me, Pogba hasn't performed at the level of someone like a Kevin De Bruyne. I think it's partly to do with the fact that, as we've talked about before, I feel that Mourinho is quite a reactive and, as we all know, he's quite a reactive and pragmatic manager. And obviously, every football team has kind of a tactical approach to each individual game. But I feel if you look at teams like Manchester City or Liverpool, there's also a much more overarching idea of how they want to play football, which I don't feel that you have so much of at United. And when you think about what makes De Bruyne so good, I think it's the choreography of Manchester City. It's, you know, it's knowing exactly how they want to play football. It's knowing exactly what you're trying to achieve in each situation because, you know, you've workshopped it a hundred times on the training ground and, and, you know, knowing exactly where your teammates are going to be. And that, that for me, is what I don't feel that Pogba has ever had under Mourinho. I think this point about reactive versus proactive football uh, is a good one. I mean, as you were... And, and I don't necessarily think that reactive football is is bad. It's just that right now we're in a situation where if you think to sort of the... the I think certainly the top six teams in the Premier League, um, with the exception of United, and really every top team in Europe, except maybe Atletico Madrid, arguably Juventus, everybody else plays to use your term, proactive football. You know, it's not just, it's not as simple as saying, well, it's attacking football. No, it's about moving people around, making sure your best players are on the ball as much as possible and, and stuff like that. It's just a different way of playing. I don't think one's right, one's the other. I think that kind of augments the Pogba debate because people look at this and they compare him to De Bruyne or Modric or whatnot. And it looks as if the guy's a stiff because he's not influencing games in, in the same way. And, Added to that, I think, is there's also that, that a whole other contingent 
of people who seemingly only watch football every four years where they see what he did during the World Cup, where he played a completely different role on a reactive team in a knockout tournament. Mourinho made this point indirectly as well, you know, with Griezmann and Mbappe in front of him, where he basically mostly did defend and play on the counter and was extremely effective doing that. But that's not an option for Manchester United. Manchester United can't play that way week in, week out, uh, over 38 games. So how does this all play out? How does this end? Will Pulper be sold in January, James? It's funny, the, the one the one party whose position I, I really don't get in this is is the club itself, because as Paul reports in, in the paper today, Manchester United apparently intend to keep Mourinho and they also intend to keep Pogba. And, and you know, you could throw into that that, you know, as, as Paul and I know, United also, you know, intend to keep, for example, Anthony Martial, who is another player whose relationship with Mourinho has ostensibly broken down, but the club want to keep him and it, it's kind of hard to n- know how you know what do they kind what's Manchester United expect to happen do they expect that you know that this is all going to sort of magically kind of coalesce and I mean I I think there's four scenarios starting with what I think is the likeliest is that Pogba stays and Mourinho gets sacked at some point because it, it's just really difficult to shift Pogba Certainly in January, just look around Europe, look at the other clubs between the ones who have financial fair play concerns or the ones who tied up all the money in Cristiano Ronaldo or the ones like Bayern, whose who's most expensive ever signing was, you know, cost $41 million, or Real Madrid, who, have, who are going to re-sign Modric or, or Barcelona, who've got seven central midfielders already, two of whom they, they, they just uh, added in the summer. Um, so if that doesn't happen in the summer, I think we're going to get one of four scenarios. One is... Pogba stays, Mourinho leaves. Uh, and the other one, which could also be quite likely, is they both leave. Uh, the lose-lose scenario, if you will. Uh, and uh, and you get a fresh start. The two less likely scenarios, as I see it, is that Mourinho just drops Pogba. Pogba leaves in the summer and United become really good. And Mourinho's hailed as a genius for removing the cancer from the club. Somebody writes a clever story comparing it to when... Manchester United got rid of uh, of Whiteside and all those guys who who, who drank back in uh, 1989, Paul McGraw and whatever. And then there's the other scenario, which, Hursty, you and I discussed uh, on, on the phone the other day, the, the one we call the Luke Shaw scenario, where he goes and humiliates him and destroys him and drags him through the mud, like, you know, some kind of guy in an abusive relationship, and then builds him up again. And then together, Pogba and Mourinho, Vader and Anakin, actually, no, Vader and Anakin are the same person, right? Sorry, like like Vader and Luke um, end up winning the, if not the Premier League, they win the Champions League. Or, and, and then Mourinho's vindicated um, by his behavior. Yeah. Those are the four scenarios, right? What's likeliest? I think the, the scenario that you, you stated where Mourinho goes and Pogba stays is most likely. I, mean, I, I don't think United will sack Mourinho unless it gets really bad, like in terms of results. And results are the main factor here. You know, United didn't sack David Moyes until they were, you know, they, they literally couldn't qualify for the Champions League, you know, you know, um, mathematically. And I think United will probably, you know, will probably see, probably do the same with Mourinho. That they can't be seen to, you know, be thinking about getting rid of him now. You know, because you know, it's, it's what what a terrible time to sack a manager, and you know, it's it's, it's so early um, in the season, and I. I in terms of Pogba, I, I just can't see him going in January. I don't, you know, I don't see Barcelona bidding an insane amount of money for him. 
in January when they've already got plenty of options, like you say. And I, I just think this might end up with, you know, the way I see it now is that, you know, that Mourinho probably will go at the end of the season. Uh, you know, they might shake hands at the end of the season and then him and Woodward and say, you know, this has run its course. Pogba signs a new deal and then goes on to star under the new manager or whatever. That's probably the most likely outcome of this. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. Subscribe now. It's just £1 a month for a three-month trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our stats guru, Bill Edgar, provides 11 trivia teasers for you. And here's one for you on this podcast. I have to say, it's very niche. It's very Bill, this one, Gab. Yes, it's got a touch of the Edgars about it. Um, Now, he wants you to name the four Premier League grounds where the players enter the pitch from a corner of the stadium rather than near the halfway line. Stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer. No doubt about the standout fixture in the Premier League this weekend. It is Chelsea joint second, having dropped just two points so far against Liverpool, top of the Premier League with a 100% record. But they did suffer their first defeat of the season last night and it was Chelsea who inflicted it upon them in the EFL Cup. Eden Hazard with a sensational late winner as well. Jamie Carragher reacted by saying Hazard is the best player in the Premier League. James, do you agree with that? I do think Hazard for the last sort of going back to the time period, beginning from the start of the World Cup, if you like, has been sensational. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal at the World Cup. That goal that he, he scored last night, is that to me is very much Hazard. Uh, his, that's what he can do that I think very, very few players can do when, he's, when he is at his absolute peak. The route to goal, if you like, sort of from, you know, even very far out, I think he's absolutely kind of brilliant at seeing and in answer to your question, it sort of depends on the time frame because obviously De Bruyne has been injured. You know, has Hazard done enough in you know quite a small number of games to unseat De Bruyne as, or, or indeed Salah as the best player in the Premier League? Maybe not, but I do feel that I think I said it before the start of the season. I do feel that Hazard really could, you know, in a team that is set up to attack, could have a career year. There are certain things De Bruyne does a lot better than Hazard, I think. And, I mean, I think he's tremendous shooting from distance. I think he's better range of passing than than Hazard does. Um, Hazard is a better dribbler. I think he's quicker as well. I, I'd be really curious to know, well, we do know, or I was going to think if they were in the same team, how they'd be used, or if you were to swap them, would De Bruyne play on the wing? I don't think so. I mean, if he were swapped... I would assume that De Bruyne would play in Sarri's little three on the side, you know, in place of Kovacic. And if Hazard, if he was at City, I could see him doing a Leroy Sané, Raheem Sterling gig. Because when you have that ability to create overloads by, by simply beating a man out of nothing, you know, you, you, always, ha- you always have an edge. Hirsty, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, if you're Klopp, there's a certain script that we expect from this game, right? In the sense, we expect Chelsea to be high possession and we expect Liverpool to engage in a lot of counter-pressing. Would they be better off maybe with a little bit less counter-pressing where you, you know, inevitably when you press, you, you, you're, going to, you're going to concede space and maybe focus a little more on 
at least as far as Hazard's concerned, on, on positional defending and, and, and just denying him service or trying to deny him service? I thought Sari was quite clever in bringing him on so early. And then that, that kind of changed the whole dynamic, really. Once you've got Hazard running at you direct, you know, as, as James talked about in terms of you know, that aggressive running, there's very little you can do to stop him, really, unless you, you know, literally put two or three men on him. In the form that he's in, Hazard is pretty much unstoppable, isn't he? He's unplayable. Um, so I, you know, it's very kind of little that, you know, I don't think Jurgen Klopp will be sat there this morning thinking, oh, you know, can't believe we, we let him win the game like that. I think he's, at the moment, he's pretty much, you know, he's a force of nature. He's kind of, you know, he really can't, there's really nothing you can do to stop him. We mentioned Jurgen Klopp there, and since he uh, took charge of Liverpool, he's won two of his three Premier League trips to Stamford Bridge. Their one defeat coming back in May when Liverpool had a Champions League final on the horizon. Uh, James, what weaknesses in Chelsea can uh, Klopp's team expose, do you think? That four-man defence, I think, could definitely be got at. I think there's there's a sense that, although it hasn't really been exposed in the Premier League so far, it certainly was in the Community Shield, that that defence, which has some very sort of attacking front-foot defenders like Marcos Alonso, who really isn't a full-back at all, and, and David Luiz, who's sort of someone who likes to bring the ball out of defence and is not necessarily the most defensively solid in a two-man centre-back pairing, I think could, could definitely be exposed. I think in particular Alonso could be exposed by Salah. And also, obviously, the, the other thing, I, I know you talked about this in the previous podcast, is that Angolo Conte is, is now not doing so much that sort of screening job right in front of the centre-back pairing and, and so potentially they could be even more exposed. And Paul, Manchester City are just two points back in the title race and they host Brighton on Saturday. Is there a sense that Chelsea and Liverpool can't afford to let City get out in front? Uh, yes, obviously, you know, Liverpool started the season perfect start so far, but you, you look at that table and, you know, if, if Liverpool lose this weekend, you'd expect City to win. City will go, you know, one point ahead of Liverpool and then if if City win at Anfield, then you know they'd be four points ahead of Liverpool. You know they, they couldn't turn the table, you know, turn it round the situation around the top of the table within space of a couple of weeks. But you know, the thing about City when they go to Anfield, they, they don't have a great record there. Um, and you know, last season's Champions League defeat was you know quite a capitulation really. So it'll be hard for them to get that out of their their minds when they go there because they collapsed you know so quickly in that opening thirty minutes. So. If there's a carrot there of going four points clear of Liverpool, then, you know, then that'll certainly spur them on. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. The England manager Gareth Southgate is close to being rewarded for reaching the World Cup semi-finals in Russia with a new contract worth a reported three million pounds a year. Uh, the deal will take him through to the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Uh, James, has he done enough to be given another four years? Personally, I would say yes. I think he has. After previous major tournaments, we have been very used to that sort of familiar cycle of you know, tear it all down, root and branch review. The margins in tournament football can be very fine. You know, you could easily have the opposite of what happened at the World Cup and have, you know, a very un- unlucky draw in, in Euro 2020. I mean, I definitely have my, you know, specific reservations about Southgate and how they played during the World Cup. Obviously, as everyone talked about, the, the lack of open play creativity. So I think there are issues to solve there. But what, what I really like about Southgate and what, what I don't think we've had for a while is that, you know, he has a really clear way of playing he's he's got an idea it's that sense of you know creating through a a system rather than kind of relying on the you know the sort of ad hoc quality of individual players so I think that's that's what's really worth persevering with 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 Southgate. Natalie your mate Danny Murphy (laughs) claims that giving Southgate that contract is quote ridiculous because he thinks that it could all turn around very quickly with if they're knocked out early in Euro 2020 and we've been here before, oh, yes. right? Uh, we've seen people sign new, big new deals before World Cups. Um, does Danny have a point? I don't want to say I'm pessimistic. I'm not. But I do like to be on the side of erring on caution, if you like. And I do think that, yes, we did very well at the World Cup. Yes, it united everybody. Over here in England, it was great. Everyone fell in love with the national team once again. But when you look at the games that England played and the victories they had, they were games they were expected to win. And then the games that we didn't win were games against higher nations. And so I think, yeah, for me, it's a little bit risky. And, uh, you know, it's not like the FA have bundles and bundles of cash that they can afford to to give out if they have to pay them off. This is what I I often wonder about. Uh, And James, I'd love to get your take on this. Is free market, you pay somebody what you can afford based on the risk of losing him, basically, or her, to, to, to somewhere else. That's the basis of it. It's three million pounds a year off the top of my head. I don't know, there may be some guy who, like, manages Cutter or something who makes more money, but I think he's the highest-paid manager, national team coach in the world. And at three million pounds a year, he's probably paid than more than all but maybe eight or nine Premier League managers. So with this in mind, should the FA really be worried? Like, oh, my God, what if, you know... Manchester City come along and say, oh, you know, you need to you need to go and replace Pep Guardiola or whatever. I mean, is there really a risk? I mean, what kind of a club in the Premier League would, do you think, sign, uh, sign Southgate? What's his level? What's his profile, in your opinion? Something that I, I think is really interesting is that, that I was thinking about during the World Cup is that international football and, you know, international management is quite often disparaged. I think it's really interesting how quickly it can sort of springboard from sort of zero to hero would be the kind of short way of putting it in a, a way that I don't think you could ever have done so quickly through club management. I mean, how how long would it have taken Southgate to get from where he was, which was basically a failed Premier League manager, to get to where his esteem now is? And, and you know, the same for Roberto Martinez, you know, 
who I think pretty sure Roberto Martinez got some votes for World Manager of the Year yeah. at the FIFA Best Awards. You know, how long would it have taken Martinez well, and, to sorry, get... And the other big difference with Southgate is that, lest we forget, Belgium, the bar was set very low with Mark Philmont's before him. They decided, yes, Roberto Mar- Martinez is the guy we want, and he interviewed very well and whatever. Southgate had been a part of the England setup for, for a number of years. He's been, he'd been under 21. He was only given the job because of the Sam Allardyce pint of wine affair, lest we forget. So it's not like this is some big brainwave of the FA. You know, he, he got the job because there was nobody else. I don't know if there's prestige involved. I don't think Southgate's being greedy, and I don't think he's, you know, I don't fault him in any way for, for getting that extra security and whatever else. But it does seem a bit odd because I don't think people are lining up at Southgate's door trying to poach him. Yeah, I, I think probably from a kind of market economic point of view, you're, you're probably right. I guess the other the other facts that you kind of have to throw in there and feel free to kind of scoff at this <laughs> is the sort of intangible way in which sort of Southgate caught the public mood if you like I don't want to go over the top here but in his just in his sort of decency and in his kind of the public manner and the way in which he conducted himself kind of appealed to what people would like their England manager mm. and, and their England team to, to look like that's a brilliant point mm. no, he, he augments the FA brand and oh, the England the brand mm. um, in a way that goes beyond football and in a way that might not apply so much at at club level, right? I mean, you know, if, if if he replaces Marco Silva at Everton in two years and Everton finish 10th, it's going to wear thin pretty quickly on Merseyside, you know? So, no, so, so there is a, a value added there. But I want to get back to the, the question you asked about his level, which club he'd be most suited to. Let's get both of your opinions on that. I don't see him at any top six club right now, mm-hmm. partly because, with the exception of Mourinho, you know, the other five are either pretty well entrenched or or have just arrived um, and in Saudi and Emery's case. But the other problem that he's stuck in is, I don't know how many clubs would pay him £3 million a year. You know, Burnley aren't going aren't gonna to pay that. Would, would Everton? Maybe. I mean, that, that's an obvious club that, that, that you would look to. But again, they just got their new manager. So Maybe a Leicester? A Leicester could make sense. Mm-hmm. Possibly, but do you think do you think fans would want him at a club? I think at the start he would be. I think he would be a pretty exciting appointment. I mean, certainly if you look at the the example of Leicester, where I think I think <laughs> Claude Puel, for all his many strengths, I think has has maybe failed to capture the imagination. I think, and obviously, you know, coming off as we talk about that huge kind of wave of sort of public support and emotion, and having you know done well results wise at at the world cup i think at the start he would certainly be a very exciting appointment whether his limitations as a tactician would be exposed and how quickly that would happen i think is is an interesting question i think they might well be but i agree with gab i I couldn't see him being appointed at a top six club but i think hypothetically i think a mid a mid table short job would be about his level natalie we have some breaking news uh as we're as we're taping this, and, and actually our friend Warren from, from TalkSport made fun of me for using the word taping on a podcast, saying that like, it's old school, so maybe I should say recording this. I know there's no actual tape <laughs> yeah. involved. Sorry. VAR will be introduced from the 2019-20 season in the, uh, in the Champions League. So for next season, VAR will be used. Yeah. They're also going to use it at the UEFA Super Cup. 
uh, and uh, at Euro 2020, and then from the 2021 season in the Europa League group stage onwards, and, and I know you're dying to know this, in the 2021 UEFA Nations League finals too. <laughs> Fist pump from James. That's it. Hi there, and welcome to The Sweeper, which is the Time to Fantasy Football Tip Service. We're back. I'm Charlie Scott with Paddy Bombay. Hello. So, Paddy, looking ahead this week, what takes your fancy? Well, I'll tell you what takes my fancy is your uh, your piece on the Timesport website about defenders. <laughs> uh, you've been delving into the world of the defence. It's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Mendy out, Robertson got some tough games. The big three fullbacks maybe looking a bit more shaky than they used to. Exactly. So, yeah, as Paddy says, the big three, which is Mendy with his little hurt metatarsal, Robertson at Liverpool and Alonso at Chelsea. Those three, a lot of people have really shape their squads around those three mm. uh, they've been brilliant going forward in particular but that's that's only 20 million of your budget I've had a look at fullbacks who there's some obvious cheap ones who have been brilliant this season like Aaron Wambasaka at mm. Palace who is a bonus point magnet um, but also the Wolves fullbacks Johnny and Matt Doherty Paddy wrote a piece last week about Wolves and we're going to touch on that again but those two are just playing brilliantly going forward they're having so many touches in the opponent's penalty areas they're creating chances between them, they've had 12 shots inside the box, and Doherty has had eight of those, which is more than any other defender, including Alonso. So far, and Alonso costs two and a half million more than him. Um, so, yeah, I've had a big, long look at fullbacks. The piece will be up on the website by the time you listen to this podcast, so have a look at that. I sort of love everything about Wolves at the moment. They've got a really solid back three, those fullbacks get far forward Raul Jimenez looks a good player up front he's involved in everything they do I'm not sure about how their winger's situation is going to work out, the goals must come for Jota soon um, whether Traore takes Helder Costa's place, I'm not sure, that's a wait and see but there's lots of great options there they've got Southampton, Palace, Watford and Brighton their next four um, I reckon they're almost all good value so that's 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 where to go for me Okay, and this week, where, where do you think the points are going to come from? Uh, probably Richarlison you know he was so good at the start of the season um, he got himself sent off banned came back against Arsenal last week and uh, Everton weren't particularly good but he's obviously really good value I think still at 6.6 million um, he got sold by a lot of managers during his suspension so if you jump back on that bandwagon now uh, you might get there ahead of the curve they've got Fulham at home who have, have shipped quite a lot of goals so mm. far haven't they so yeah what about Kane? Kane oh he looked a bit better against Brighton last weekend. Uh, he plays Huddersfield away tomorrow. Scored two against them last year. Could be a great captaincy differential. Could be a great captaincy differential, but he costs a lot of money, and is he going to do it every week? I don't know. So, as we said, go to the Times uh, website. You can read all about Charlie's defenders this week. Um, also, sign up for the sweeper at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. Uh, you can also find that link in the podcast description for all sorts of tips every week and also go to Facebook search for The Sweeper send us your questions or your team and we'll get back to you with plenty of personalised advice It is time now for our weekly predictions game now Gab is feeling pretty smug after predicting <laughs> three three exact Premier League scorelines last week so we're going to start with a bit of a challenge this is a bit of a challenge I think for both of us Gab uh, Gregor Robertson is off to Fort William versus Lossiemouth in the Highland League for the Times. Now, Fort William have a minus, listen to this, 75 goal difference. Lossiemouth have a minus 47 goal difference. Fort William have also been deducted nine points for fielding ineligible 
players. So, Gab, I have to ask this first because yeah. it's going to impact my answer, and and I have not swatted up on the on the Highland League, and I'm sure you know, James, uh, and if you don't, producer Charlie knows. We're in late September as we tape this. I'm assuming that they have a minus 75 goal difference because it's one of those weird leagues where because they're so far north, they play over the summer because it's no. snowbound and no. frozen. No, 10 games they've played. So Fort William have Jesus. conceded 81 <laughs> oh goals. <my> and <laughs> yeah, Lossy Mouth have conceded 50. Can you concede 50 goals in 10 games? Well, how do you concede 81 <laughs> in 10 games? My goodness. So, well, bearing all that in mind, what... But, but the game's in Fort William. Yes. Well, I think it's natural for us to expect goals in this game. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to go for uh, a 3-2 Fort William win. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Well, bear in mind that Fort William have only scored six goals in ten games, and Lossy Mouth have only scored three in ten. Yeah, no, but the defence is so bad. I know, but I still think it, it's, it's going to be a unstoppable force and movable object. I know, but you know, yes, they have a bad defence, but they haven't got the best strike force either. By the looks of it, I'm actually going to go for a much more reserved scoreline of one nil to Fort William, who have at least had a draw this right. season. Now, elsewhere, Natalie, we have a number of huge games in Europe this weekend. One of them is the Madrid derby, Real Madrid against Atletico, and of course, Real Madrid. And Barcelona, too, losing. Atleti could theoretically go top, which is pretty remarkable when you consider um, that they hadn't had the best start of the season, and it's only and it's only September. So the game is at the Bernabeu. Uh-huh. Isco, I believe, will be injured. Um, what do you reckon? Well, I'm going for a, a 2-2 draw in this one. I'm thinking it's going to be a high-scoring affair and exciting. That's Diego Simeone's middle name, of course, is excitement. <laughs> um... <laughs> No, I, I think this is where normal service resumes, oh. where you get a reaction. Well, you have to have a reaction here because otherwise things get really ugly very quickly at the Bernabeu. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to say Real Madrid to win 3-1. Oh, gosh. Okay, uh, let's head back into the Premier League then. Three games for us to, to focus on. The London Stadium, Jose Mourinho, Paul Pogba, Maybe. making their way to, to West Ham. I No, I'm going to ask you first. Okay, well, I've stuck with this idea that West Ham have been better than their results suggest. I'm not sure that was the case against Chelsea, but this is going to be a very different proposition, I think, uh, uh, playing United. So I'm going to go uh, for 2-1 United win. Oh, that's the same as me. Yeah? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You're just, just going to copy me now. <laughs> you go first, Gab. Yeah, You're exactly. winning, I know. I have it written down here. I can show right. you. Okay. What's our next one? Well, your next one uh, is uh, is also uh, a biggie. Obviously, it's Chelsea against uh, Liverpool yes. at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. First versus second. Mm. Sorry ball versus Klopp's heavy metal. Um yeah, I'm not being fooled. You go first. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll I'll just go straight to it then. I'm going for a one-one draw. Yeah, that would suit Liverpool. Uh, I'm going to go for a two-one Chelsea victory. Interesting. Okay. Just like last night then. And uh, finally, Cardiff against Burnley. Yeah, Burnley kind of up and down this season, yeah. huh? Um, do we have any sympathy for Neil Warnock? 
She's frowning. She's frowning. Not, you can't see really. this. No. Not really. Uh, but if you want, I'll go first. I don't have any sympathy for Neil Warnock. <laughs> I don't enjoy the football that Cardiff play. I didn't enjoy the football they played in the Championship last season. Especially when they played Brentford. Especially when they played Brentford. I bet you have a quick anecdote from that, right? No. <laughs> Did you guys get kicked off the pitch? No, no, no. no. Well, probably. Um, no. It's, uh, listen, they went up, so they deserve to go up. That's fair enough. They got the results. But I am actually, as I say, I don't have any sympathy for them, but I think they'll get a draw out of this, and I'm going for another one-all draw. I think Burnley capitalize away from home. I'm going to go 1-0. Now, we have just enough time left to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's very Edgar-esque teaser. And uh, that was, we asked you to name the four Premier League grounds where the players enter the pitch from a corner of the stadium rather than near the halfway line the way God intended. <laughs> yes, well, they are Old Trafford, Craven Cottage, Selhurst Park and Turf Moor. There you go. There you go. Uh, That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, James Gearbrand and Paul Hurst. And remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. Now, just £1 a month for a three-month trial. That's basically £3 for three months, if my math is correct. I think that's a really good deal. Um, Search a Times subscription for more information. And we'll be back on Monday after what should be a pivotal weekend at the top of the table. See you then. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 